thrown off the mic. I'm dusting it off. It's been a little while. It's been a while since I've sat down to talk about some basketball. And the main reason for that, honestly, is because I'm writing about basketball every day. And managing this on top of that has been a little bit more challenging than expected. Only because of the fact that some stuff within Bleacher Nation, my company, um, you know, got really busy. Uh, Things happened. Big things happened, which was super fun. Um, I don't need to get into all of that here, but all positive things. It's just, it's kept me pretty busy. So I think now I'm at a point where I could start this back up again. I think we're at a fun point in the NBA season where I can talk about the playoffs. We can continue to talk about what's coming. Uh, Also, the Bulls have been very depressing. So it's nice that they're almost done and I don't have to talk much more about them and I could focus on other things around the NBA. So Basically, uh, I'm not going to do this big intro or anything like that. The only thing I'm going to say is that format-wise, moving forward, I'm probably going to change a little bit of how this show works on a weekly basis. Um, If I do interviews, I think I'm going to make those interviews into their own podcast. Maybe I'll throw it in sometimes with with the show, depending on um, how I format it. But interviews may be their own thing. My goal here is to make these shorter, a little bit more concise, and... With the name of the show, Points in the Podcast, I kind of just want to provide you with like five points of the week, right? We're going to go, we're going to pick a topic, we're going to go through kind of five bullet points, talk about those things uh, scattered around the NBA, and, but yeah, like I said, answering one overarching question. So if you stick with me here, you'll kind of understand a little bit more of what I am saying. Um, but yeah, that's what that's where we're at right now. I look forward to still having people on. We're going to have fun interviews. Maybe I'll bring people on to just like do this five points of the week thing with me. But for now, I'm just going to sit down, kind of get caught up on where we're at. And we're going to get caught up with just where we're at in the NBA season. And I think I picked an appropriate question uh, to be able to do just that. So thank you for tuning back in. Let's talk about some basketball. Okay, so the point I want to talk about today, or the question that I want to answer, at least for this week, is can you believe we're saying that? So in other words, imagine it's September or October, I sat you down, I hopped in my time machine, I went back in time, and I told you all about the failures of Elon Musk buying Twitter, and all these things from the NBA. And I'm curious to see, do you believe that? Um... You know, would you have been shocked to learn this information? Spoiler alert, all five should be things that I would personally be surprised uh, about. So can you believe we're saying that? No, I can't believe we're saying that. And the first thing that I can't believe we are saying is that Kevin Durant is on the Phoenix Suns. Now, considering the smoke that surrounded this one in the offseason, it probably is the most believable of the things that I will discuss today, which is why I put it first. But it's still truly remarkable that it actually happened. Players as good as Kevin Durant, they just do not, you know, they don't go on to get traded. They don't go on to swap teams midseason. Sure, in today's NBA, this era of the league, we of course see big name stars moving around all the time. But traded midseason, a player of Kevin Durant's caliber, a top 15 player of all time, maybe a top 10 when it's all said and done, depending on how many championships he gets, that, that stuff doesn't happen. So the fact that it actually did is truly shocking. Even if the way... It happened. Even if the way in which it all came together made plenty of sense, I think if I went back into September and I said, actually, he's going to stay with the team, but then him and Kyrie Irving are going to end up traded midseason. I, I, I just, I would have a hard time uh, believing that. So just talking a little bit about that, uh, that trade as well. 
you know, I don't, I, I, I am also shocked by the fact that the team looks as good as it has. I think that would be another thing I'd be shocked to learn. And I get it. You know, it's Kevin Durant. Of course, your team's going to look awesome with Kevin Durant. But we've seen teams add big players all the time. We saw James Harden go from the Nets to Philly last year. And, and the connection there between him and Embiid, while it's great now, it was rocky. You know, it was it was an up and down kind of uh, thing. And while we've only seen three games from Kevin Durant, let's be fair, you know, with, with Phoenix. So who knows? Um, the connection between him and Booker has been already as lethal as you would have expected it to be on paper. I've been shocked with how easily that team has been able to adjust uh, with how well they've played um, on both ends of the court so far. And it's something that you would have expected this to look like next year, but it looks like that right now. And so in terms of them being a finals, a true finals contender, it's obviously true. It looks like they must, they might as well be the best team in the West, especially with Memphis continuing to fall off, uh, especially with Golden State struggling on the road as much as they are. And the Denver Nuggets, you know, uh, I, I, I think it's just a little bit hard. Everybody agrees it's a little hard to fully buy into their potential to be a finals team, uh, you know, true finals team. I would love to see it. I do like that team a lot. I love Jokic, but whether or not they can do it, it's a question. This is a team right now with Durant, with Booker, with Chris Paul, with even DeAndre Ayton, and a handful of those role players who have finals experience. And when the playoffs start, that stuff really, really matters. Going back to the Durant and Booker thing, though, like I said, I am shocked to see how effective it's been over the three games. Right away, these two have averaged 62.6 points over their first three games together. Let me reiterate that. 62.6 points between the two of them over their first three games. That's crazy, and that's also happened with Kevin Durant on a minutes restriction. The last game that uh, those two played in, Durant did finally get up to playing 40 minutes, and uh, that was versus Dallas, so interestingly enough, it was versus Kyrie Irving, and he dropped 37 points with a complete ease, while Devin Booker added 36 points and 10 assists. So I don't want to sit here and say that they're about to win the finals. I don't know if that's going to happen. Like I said, the the, the, the bumps in the road that come with completely reinventing your team, which, you know, it's only one new player, but it is Kevin Durant, that that's going to be, that can happen in come the postseason time. But Dallas was the kind of team that consistently gave the Suns trouble. Kevin Durant, plop him in there. It was a close game. They go on and they steal that game and they look, you know, the, the Durant-Booker duo looks incredible. The other thing that I think this makes a huge difference uh, for the Suns, the Durant edition, is so far what this is going to do for Chris Paul. Because Chris Paul is obviously, he's diminished uh, or deteriorated, whatever word you want to use his, uh, on the scoring side of things over the past couple of years. His mid-range in particular has dropped off drastically from the last couple of seasons. I think cleaning the glass right now has him shooting just 45% compared to his 55% for mid-range looks last season. And I mean, you're making more than, you know, average or you're making less. And it's a 10% difference in that, in that, you know, middle ground is huge. And Chris is just not the type of scorer that he used to be. Could he have his nights? Could he have his spurts? Could he knock down a clutch bucket? I think we all agree that he probably still could. But durability is an issue, and now his waning offensive impact, at least scoring the basketball, is an issue. So adding Durant, you don't even need to worry about CP3 in the playoffs being able to get you however many points. Now CP3 gets to focus on being the you know high-caliber defender that he's been in the past and being the incredible facilitator that he's been in the past. So... I love this for CP3. I think when we're talking about him moving into the next phase of his career, which I guess he's technically already in and he only has a couple years left, 
But he's owed a lot of money. And before there were conversations like, Phoenix has got to get rid of Chris. You know, they can't keep him all this money. And maybe they still will because of the contract, whatever. But this kind of extends a little bit you just being able to play through with him and him being able to have a smaller role and him being able to focus primarily on giving Kevin Durant and Devin Booker the basketball, which is, uh, which is, which is a good job. And not to mention, this should just decrease his minutes overall, right? So when we talk about the durability issues, I think CP3, even though they have a, 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 still a weak load of backup guards, you know, you got to trust campaign, which is always scary. Now you have Booker and Durant to bring the ball up the floor. They can do their own stuff. So in general, I think this is really good for CP3. And I'm just shocked that we're here at this moment. That, that you know, it fell apart in the offseason. It looked like everything was going to stay coarse. And then, boom, now Durant's in Phoenix. And it looks like they could be bound for the finals. Now I say all of that. All of that. I thought through all of that before Kevin Durant slipped in warm-ups on a wet spot and, uh, you know, twisted his ankle. There's rumors floating around right now. I don't know. When this comes out, who knows what the report will be, but there's rumors that he could miss uh, the rest of the regular season, which obviously is huge because then it's less time to even build that chemistry. As good as it's looked so far, that's significant. And who knows when in the playoffs he would be ready. But that will be something to watch. Maybe everything I just said is void. Maybe they won't be a finals contender because Durant is now hurt for the rest of the year. Who knows? Scary thing. I hope he's okay because I do want to see what happens with this Suns team. All right, let's move on to the next point. If I told you back in October or September again, or even a little over the summer, whatever, so be it. If I told you that the New York Knicks were actually a good basketball team, would you believe me? Knicks fans are going to say, of course. Everyone else, I hope, would say no because (laughs) this has been one of... The least competent franchises over the past handful of years, obviously, uh, they have struggled to uh, con- you know, build much camaraderie between the existing core that they had together. Uh, two seasons ago, they made the postseason. I don't know if we, anyone really believed in that team all that much, as, as strong as Julius Randle played. That was a questionable team. Derrick Rose was playing a lot of minutes. It looked like that was a one-and-done playoff-type t- team, and especially looked that way last year when they missed the playoffs. And Julius Randle was fighting with fans in the, in, the, in the stands at Madison Square Garden. This just looked like a team that wasn't going to be built for sustained success. Add in Jalen Brunson, who I talked about months ago on, on this podcast and how I love him and I thought he was great, but I didn't think that he would be able to completely shift the success of the New York Knicks. And while he hasn't done it alone, I was wrong. He's, <laughs> he has been a remarkable player. Uh, he is this season. He's been somebody who looks like the true leader that a team needs. I still don't think he's not going to be a best player on a championship team or nothing like that, but he can easily be one of your top three most important players. And the Knicks right now have the seventh best net rating in the NBA. They have the fifth best offense in the NBA, which is just crazy to say for a Tibbs coach team. Defense has always been not only what Tibbs has relied on, but what the Knicks over the past couple of years have built their foundation on. And this year it's kind of reversed. Their offense has actually been great. Both Randall and Brunson have uh, scored at will. The addition of R.J. Barrett, while up and down, he's completely capable still of giving you some really big nights. And... You know, you have a complimentary group of role players. The, the three-point shooting actually has been really impressive from this group. They have a number of uh, good catch-and-shoot shooters. And a guy like Emmanuel Quickly, he's been he continues to blossom into a really strong two-way guard. So 
I've been very impressed with the Knicks so far this season. And a lot of that is Brunson, but a lot of that is just a team that kind of makes sense together. It's been surprising to see how well that, that, that they've, uh, that they've been able to put this whole thing together. Um, what I will say, my main concern about the Knicks moving forward. I don't know how much I could buy into them as a true playoff team. Right now, it looks like they, you know, will end up on the middle ground. They probably, it could be them versus Cleveland, let's say, which I think would be a very fun series, a shocking series, a very fun playoff series. Now, I don't know if they have, as good as their offense has been this season, even though they're ranked top five in, in offensive efficiency, let's consider how they're scoring these points. It's a lot of iso ball. They rely a lot on isolation basketball. They're running the third highest amount of iso possessions per game. Randall is the one doing the majority of that work in isolation, which, to his credit, I mean, it's impressive, right? He's a big dude. The fact that he's able to put it on the floor in the way he is, the fact that he can kind of hit these one-legged fadeaway you know, jumpers in the fashion that he does. Like, he's a very unique player. We don't see a lot of guys like him, especially just with his physical build. Um, being able to play kind of the, the ISO basketball that he does in, in terms of attacking the rim and just in taking some big, relatively big shots. But third highest amount of ISO, plays, ISO possessions per game. Among the top eight players in ISO possessions each game, Julius Randle, who is among the top eight, like I was just saying, he has the second lowest points per possession. So doing a lot of ISO, he's not necessarily that efficient with it. He gets a lot of attempts. I mean, it's he's not the worst, but it's it's not, you know, among the, the, the players we consider to be these elite ISO players, Randall isn't scoring necessarily at the rate that those those guys are. And that's scary because when you do go into the, the playoffs, and if ISO ball is the thing that you rely mostly on, you need one of those truly elite players to be able to extend into a couple of rounds, right? You need a James Harden to be able to make it to the Western Conference Finals. You need somebody who is super efficient with it. And Randall just, you know, it's not surprising, but he's not at that point. Also, the, the Knicks, because of the ISO, it's not surprising. They're dead last in assist percentage, which I just don't love <laughs> for really any playoff team. Uh, I understand. You rely on your stars a lot, right? Which is another big problem here for the Knicks. You rely on your stars when the when the uh, playoffs come. And they don't have a Giannis. They don't have an Embiid. They don't even have, they don't have a Jason Tatum. A Randall-Brunson duo, as impressive as they've been in the regular season. Uh, they don't even have a Donovan Mitchell, right? It's just not something that I think can... can carry you a lot further maybe they add more you know maybe a star becomes disgruntled they have the type of assets they add them into the picture and then we're, we're talking differently in a couple of years they have at least put themselves in a nice position but moving forward into this postseason it's going to be interesting to see if they could stay alive now if they win a game or two a couple of games in the first round they're going to be frisky i don't deny that this could be a really frisky team we know how physical tibbs teams like to be and like I said, Brunson, he you have at least proven playoff success with Brunson. Last year, when the Mavs made their run to the Western Conference Final, Brunson was going off. You know, and he was playing great basketball last season. So I just worry about the amount of ISO, the lack of ball movement that they have sometimes, and we'll see kind of how that how that turns what that turns into down the road. Uh, the last thing I have written down to kind of note is, like I said, 
before they do chuck up a lot like a lot of threes which is again shocking for <laughs> Tibbs team it's the eighth most threes per game and uh several players solid catch and shoot guys so if they can at least move the basketball a little bit more if they can spray things out uh they do have shooters and they have guys who can get hot so that's something that come playoff times could possibly work out for them they do have the benefit of going to some guys on their bench going to some role players uh who could potentially hit some big shots so but yeah if you told me go back in time and you said hey man the knicks right now they're going to be battling for you know the fourth seed they're going to look like a like a competent franchise with an actual real future i would be uh i would be surprised also shout out josh hart he's played really well okay next point i have to stay on this track of can you believe this team is as good as they are <laughs> and I th- I, you should i'll just give you a second to guess i'll, I'll give you a sec what if i just i'm just gonna eat a, what if i ate a bowl of cereal here for a minute you just hear my crunching while I give you a minute to wait. All right, did you think about it? What other team would blow your mind that they're this good? The answer is the Sacramento Kings, of course. I was high on what this group could accomplish during the offseason, but if you told me that they would be the second best team in the West as of recording this, I would have, uh, would have I don't know, punched, I don't want to say, like people are slap your grandmas, what I feel like people say something. I don't know, I wouldn't, I don't want to, I wouldn't be slapping any grandmas, but I, I would be I would be maybe verbally verbally scaring a grandma. I would be very surprised. To be clear, when you look at this roster, it doesn't actually it's not actually shocking or unfathomable that they're this good, right? But the mere fact that they are as a, as competent as they are is a very unusual feeling to see the Sacramento Kings in the mix in this fashion that they are. So I have to admit before before I continue giving some thoughts. I don't know who's gonna listen to this. Maybe some really hardcore Kings fan. I, I just want to say now, I got, I don't listen. I don't I don't have a lot of Kings, you know, in my resume this year. I live in the Midwest. They're on the West Coast. It's a team that I haven't been able to sit down and watch a lot. I like throwing them on on League Pass when I have the time. But in terms of the hours of Kings basketball that I have consumed, it hasn't been as high as I uh, would have liked. But I have still, uh, you know, I keep up with, with with a lot of what's going on. Watch a lot of watch a lot of highlights. Like I said, I have seen games, so I, I'm just going to give some thoughts here, and uh, we'll go with that. But I've also been a long time De'Aaron Fox fan. Uh, I have the old text to back it up. I've also seen plenty of Keegan Murray, being a Big Ten basketball guy, went to Illinois, saw plenty of him in Iowa. So. What has surprised me, though, is just how well DeMontis Sabonis has fit into the picture right away. And I understand that, that you know, the idea of having his screening ability, which he's second in uh, screen assists per game right now this season, with De'Aaron Fox made a lot of sense. I just wasn't sure offensively if he was, you know, the type of impact that he would have. How would this team build around him? Uh, but he's been phenomenal. He's shooting 61.5% from the field this season. He's grabbing a career-high 12.3 rebounds. There's something about taking him out of that Pacers situation, probably taking him out of this weird platoon that he was in with Miles Turner that has just fully opened up what he's able to do. And some of it has to do with the step that De'Aaron Fox has taken also in the right direction. He makes life easier on Sabonis. But Sabonis is really the guy that kind of pushes this team forward. He's been awesome in his role this year. And I kind of do trust him come playoff time. I do think he's somebody, he has a, he has a little bit of experience in his back pocket I don't think he's somebody that 
you know, uh, whose style of play is going to drastically diminish come that time. And he's an incredibly fun, you know, fun player to watch. He's a big part of why that team has been a fun, fun team to watch and been the best offense in the NBA. Now, the question that I have for them right now, though, is pretty simple. Um, you know, are they just this really good regular season team? Are they just the Utah Jazz of the past couple of years? It's possible. Kind of like what we were just talking about with the New York Knicks. You know, is their star duo enough to take them far? I think their depth is. I really do like the depth that they have. I really do like the pieces that they, uh, the complementary players. Kevin Herter is a lights-out shooter. Like I said, I really like what Keegan Murray brings to the floor. Malik Monk off the bench has been a lot of fun. Harrison Barnes, that's a a guy that's seen a lot of playoff action who you can kind of rely on. It's a well-built team, and it's a team who I think will definitely play confidently. But... Yeah, whether they can prove to be more than a, than a great regular season team is really the big question here because being second or third in the West, wherever they end up, because they're right tied with the Grizzlies right now, you know, that means they could face the Mavs or the Clippers. And play style aside, you know, how the even, even just talent aside, I hate that matchup for them when we consider the experience that the Mavs and the Clippers have on their rosters. The Kings have played so much better than both those teams this year. I think everybody would agree upon that. But I don't think anyone would be shocked if one of those teams bounced them in the first round with relative ease. And it's simply because of the experience, like I said. When you have Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, like you're always going to be in the mix. When you have Luka Doncic, uh, you're always going to be in the mix from now on. So how they're able to handle a more experienced team like that is going to be really fascinating to watch. But hey, as long as they can break this playoff drought, you know, credit to them because that's 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 definitely a step in the right direction there's no there's no questioning that they should be in the mix here for a couple more years fox is still really young Sabonis is really young they have pieces to be able to you know move guys around add more uh you know upgrade some of their their star level talent but i still think the the, the role players they do have are going to be good for a while here i mean kevin herter was a great addition like we said and uh, Malik Monk has been really good. But defense is also a massive question moving forward. Uh, the defensive deficiencies, if, if you know if the wheels do fall off in the playoffs, it's likely going to be attributed to that. Their offense, they've relied heavily on just being able to outscore opponents this year. But they allow the fir- third most points in the paint per game. They have serious issues being able to guard the pick and roll, and specifically the roll man. So... That's bad news against a team like Luka, of course, and it's just bad news in the playoffs when you aren't, you know, defensively sound. It's it's that's why these teams sometimes in in the regular season can be great because they are outscoring opponents. But when games get ugly, when it gets chippy, the Kings do have shot makers, guys who can who can knock down some key buckets, but whether they can get the key stops is the big question, and I just don't trust right now that they do. But hey, I would have loved to hear that they, if, they, if you told me that they were be this good, this good, I wouldn't have believed it. If you told me they were like eighth, you know, battling for the eighth seed, for the seventh seed, I would have been comfortable with it. But if you said they were second in, in the West, and some of that is is attributable to how poor the rest of the, the rest of the West has played this year, I still, I still, it would have blown, it would have blown my mind. So credit to the Kings, they've been uh, easily the, one of the best stories this year, if not the best story. I don't know if I would have believed you if you told me that Nikola Jokic was probably going to win his third MVP. 
I don't say that based off the player that he is or the talent that he has. Obviously, he's an immensely talented person and a player, and he's he's deserved the MVPs that he's won the past couple of years. But let me just remind you that only three players in the history of the NBA have won three straight MVPs. Should I do the waiting thing again? You want to guess who they are? I won't make you wait. It's Larry Bird, it's Will Chamberlain, and it's Bill Russell. So those three players also, and this is, I think, a key note, during that stretch, at some point, they won an NBA Finals. So the idea of Jokic winning a third straight is truly incredible. It's something that we've only seen three times, and those are you know bona fide Hall of Famers who are top, top players in the league. I mean, Jokic is on his way to Hall of Fame status for sure. Where he'll end up ranking in, in you know history is, is still a question. But it's truly bonkers to win three straight. MVP awards, even though it feels like the conversation doesn't really matter right now. It, it is crazy, but it's especially crazy if he doesn't win an NBA Finals this year. Then it's that nobody has ever done that. You know, you've had nobody, and he'll likely get criticism for it, but nobody has ever won three in a straight, and he should get some criticism for it because I don't think I have trouble with it. I don't necessarily think you should win three in a row if you know, you haven't proven to reach reach the mountaintop yet. Because how can you be the most valuable player if you haven't taken your team all the way to the mountaintop yet? At least for three seasons in a row. With that said, I'm, I can't say I'm against, I'm against it completely. You know, if it happens, it'll be a little weird, especially if he's bounced early on. And, and it's a regular season award, I get it. But if he's bounced early in the playoffs, it's going to feel strange. But it's not like I can sit there and I can give you these great reasons other than what we just said to refute why he shouldn't have a case or why he shouldn't be given the award. Because the Nuggets are the top team in the West this year. He's won it the past two years, and the team has been worse, right? And it's not like anything has changed that much. Sure, they got Jamal Murray back, but Jokic has been the driving force these past couple of years. If he's won it for the teams he had the past couple of years, there's no question he should win it for the Nuggets this year. He's averaging a triple-double. He's shooting 63% from the field, which is one of the best, you know, that that's that's one of the key things here. It's 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 ridiculous for him to be doing that. He only shoots about two and a half threes per game, I think, but he's shooting nearly 40% from three as well. No player just manipulates the game in the way that he's able to, in the way that he does. And no player also helps their team as much as he does. There's a lot of individually talented players, right? Like there's a lot of, there's whether it's Giannis, whether it's Embiid, whether it's Tatum, the other guys that are in the MVP conversation. I would say the key difference that Jokic has uh, when compared to any of those guys is the way in which he makes all of his teammates better. That's not to say the other guys don't, because they do. But nobody does it in the way that Jokic does it. The other guys, maybe they, they you know, are more forceful, in the way that they play, they drop more points, they're more explosive, and they carry their team to victory like them personally by making a lot of the big shots. Jokic is setting up all that. He's crafting that. He's always a step ahead. So the way in which he plays, the way in which he does things, it's certainly among the most valuable, and it's certainly in a league of its own. So I'm not going to be mad if he wins it. Uh, I just think that if you told me he was going to be in a position to win his third, and and I guess if you told me then and if you tell me now, I'm still pretty surprised by it. Just when you think about history, it's it's pretty remarkable and it's pretty crazy. 
So we're going to see what's going to happen. I, I'm not going to be surprised if all of a sudden there's a last second push for either Giannis or Embiid. I think personally, uh, you know, I, I think Giannis is right up there with him, with Jokic, in terms of who should win it, just because if we look how good the Bucks have been this year, uh, you know, they've struggled with probably more injury trouble and guys being in and out of the lineup, especially with Chris Middleton being gone for the Bucks. Giannis has had to step up even more. Credit to Drew, though. Drew Holiday has played great. I still think he's, he's you know, right there in the mix and should definitely be considered for it. Especially when we consider the three-player thing. They didn't give Giannis three in a row, even though he probably could have could have done that. He could have deserved it. So we're going to see. But I am shocked uh, knowing that Jokic is on the verge of that because it's, it's true history in the making. <sighs> the Bulls did nothing at the trade deadline. This one, I got to admit, a little biased for me to include. In, in this top five list, there's probably other things that would blow people's minds more than the idea of the Bulls doing nothing at the trade deadline. However, it is truly crazy when you consider where this team was and the direction in which they're going. There's really no justifiable answer for sitting out in the way that they have this year. And that's why if you went back, you said, hey, listen, this is the situation the team's going to be in, and then they're going to decide to do absolutely nothing. It would be impossible to wrap my head around, especially when, in the past, we watched the Chicago Bulls' new front office. We keep saying new. It's been three years now, whatever. But the newer front office was so aggressive when they came in, and they were so insistent in this past offseason uh, saying that the playoffs is the goal, and they're going to do whatever they can to reach it, and they're going to do whatever they can to improve on last season's mark. And now they sit one game out of the play-in tournament. They're in line to potentially miss the play-in tournament altogether. I'd say it's more likely than not. And it is more likely than not that they actually manage to keep their top four pick in the draft. Which, that kind of all goes into why it's so shocking that they did nothing at the trade deadline. Because you have to pick a direction, right? You, ha- you at least have to improve your chances of keeping the top four pick or improve your chances of making the playoffs. They decided to stay right in the middle. And sure, you can sit here and tell me that they went and signed Patrick Beverly. That doesn't make a difference to me. <laughs> While he's brought some good energy, he a little spark for this team, Patrick Beverly doesn't change the, 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 the real scope of what your team can accomplish in a season. And that's not a knock against him. He's a good role player. I wouldn't hate if the Bulls managed to keep him around for a cheap deal you know, next year. He plays his butt off. But it doesn't. It, it, he's not the type of guy that's going to change anything. That's silly for them to think so. I used this analogy when I was writing earlier this year about about the deadline. I said building a contender. It, it's like uh, what did I compare it? I said I said it's like trying to match socks in the dryer. Have you ever you know you needed to get you needed to go in the morning. You open the dryer. You you find one sock. You need to find the other sock. You have to grab that the one first that you see. And then you got to start flipping things around. You got to start moving the pieces to find the other. The chance of you finding the right match just by standing there and staring at it, or on the first go, even the first flip, even the first move of the shirt, or whatever you're doing in the dryer, the chance of you finding the exact match for whatever you have in your hand is extremely unlikely. It's not going to happen. But as long as you're willing to just stand there for a minute, as frustrating as it is to look at that dark, damp, you know, is it damp? It shouldn't be damp. Keep drying it if it's damp. But in that dark, dimly lit dryer and trying to find the matching sock, it's annoying to do it, but as long as you do it enough, you'll find it. And you'll, you'll have what you need and you can move forward. So to put it differently, you can't just stand there and stare at the pile of clothes and hope that the answer arrives, which is what the Bulls did by doing absolutely nothing. They stood, they said they had some pieces, 
or they had at least, you know, a piece of the puzzle, they had a sock, and they were just going to stand and wait for, for the other one to show itself. They're ridiculous for thinking that they could stick with a roster that, what, has 30, how many even wins do they have right now? 30? Whatever it is right now. At the time, they were 34 and 43. They went on to lose six in a row or whatever right around the trade deadline. The fact that they thought that they could sit with that roster at the All-Star break and then still say to the cameras, to the faces, to everybody, that the playoffs remain the goal and they believe that they could still get there. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't make any sense. And it's why it's, it's truly hard to believe then, and it would have been hard to believe in the past because no one else in the league did this. You know, while the Bulls did make a move, every team now technically did make a move, they were the last team to make a move, and it was signing Beverly. Everybody else did something. Everybody else chose a direction. Everyone else chose a path to either increase their chances or take a step backward. They decide to stand pat and say, we still need to evaluate what was going on. I don't understand how many games you need to evaluate. So they continue to say with their words and their actions that they, they believe that the core that they have right now can win at a high level. But then they also refuse to dump necessary assets to help push that forward, to help make that happen. How do they justify not doing that, not dumping more assets in? By well saying, oh, they're an 8 seed or maybe they're a playing tournament team right now. And we don't want to pay extra for for that because we don't believe in... in you don't pay extra for, for a team that stinks. Okay, that's fine. But then you have to sell off pieces. I don't know. It all just... It, 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 it doesn't make sense. Because they say, they say the priority is to win. But then they say the reason that they're not trying to emphasize winning is because they're not winning. But you can't win without doing stuff. I don't know if that, if any of that even makes sense. But it was uh, troubling to see them go and the to, to to just sit on their hands. We'll see if change comes during the off season. But I don't think any team, if you're in any situation, if you can replace the Bulls with any any other name in the league, if you told that that somebody that follows that team months and months ago that this is how things would shake out and how they would approach something like the trade deadline in a year like this, they would have been angry, confused, whatever you want to say. Okay, we did it. It's been a while since I talked about basketball. Well, at least into a microphone. Uh, I mean, I do it every day, but it, into a microphone, I haven't done it in a while. So that was nice. We ripped off the Band-Aid, and now we got a lot of fun basketball that rests ahead. Both conferences, tight races in the middle of the pack. Play and tournament seeds are up for grabs. And I'm excited for a lot of the matchups that we can get this postseason, I think. The parity in the league is obviously very strong. You have a lot of superstars, but you have a lot of superstars on different teams. And I think without, unless somebody really starts to show themselves in that first, you know, round of the playoffs or over these next couple of weeks, I do think that we could be in store for a really interesting uh, run to the end of the season. And then it's going to be a really interesting offseason because the draft coming up is crazy and all that good stuff. So we'll keep talking. Hopefully this new format kind of worked out. Uh, It's probably more different to me than it is anybody that has listened to the past several ones that uh, I've done, but I think this is a good way to go about things. I'm excited and looking forward to having some more guests on in the coming weeks, but yeah, look forward to each week having, you know, or whatever in the future, having some uh, 
shorter, more concise, to the point, pick some fun talk of topics each each week that cover an overarching topic within the NBA. Thank you for listening, and I'm going to try not to have it be two months again before I record, so we'll talk to you.